Welcome to Listening to Paint Dry with Mike and Dan, a podcast about the art and hobby of miniature painting. I'm Mike. Thank you so much for joining us on our continued quest to become better, braver, happier painters. Uh, Today we continue part two of our interview with Aaron Lovejoy. Uh, If you're just finding us now, please go back one episode and listen to part one, which is also a lot of fun. We pick up here with a discussion of ReaperCon. Without further ado, here's part two. And you got, have you, have you put your classes in for ReaperCon yet? Yeah. You scared me. You scared me for a second. I'm like, no, I haven't. Oh yeah, I did like two days ago. Um, I did mine today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew, So I didn't realize for those of you out there who are teachers, they don't send a letter out like they used to, to the teachers, like saying, Hey, you need to go sign up. Um, it was like, I'd seen a letter like, Hey, beyond, or no, uh, my buddy told me he saw uh, Reaper live and they were talking about it. But mm-hmm. then I was waiting for an email. Cause that's what always, every year you get an email Same here, yeah. and like, uh, uh, and then you sign up. Well, no email came. So I'm like, okay, whatever. So I'm having a meeting with uh, uh, Christine Van Patten and her husband, Kyle. And they're like, Hey, did you sign up for your classes? And I'm like, no, I haven't gotten an email. And they're like, you don't get an email. It's just on their website. I'm like, no. <laughs> so, so, so I went and luckily I've gotten smart over the years. I actually have like an Excel spreadsheet that has all my class names, descriptions, uh, the what model I'm going to use in that class. Uh, and now this year they wanted the paint and the SKU numbers for the paint, um, which is funny because we'll probably get there and it'll just be a bunch of random paint. <laughs> right. right. But it is what it is. Um, so I've got all that on my Excel spreadsheet. So now it's all just click and paste, you know, like I'm good with that. Nice. It was, uh, I was, uh, chatting with, uh, Michael Proctor last night about it. I'm like, Hey, what's going on with the classes? And he's like, Oh, uh, there's a test going on right now. And so I'm like, he's like, email John. And so I emailed John and I was like, uh, don't mean to be a pain, but am I, are, am I allowed to come back next year? <laughs> So yeah, I, but I, I had already I'd already actually written my class descriptions and sent them to Ron, um, a couple months ago, and yeah. that was a stupid move on my part. But I'm glad I wrote them up already because I was yeah uh, yeah you at least you at least have it you know. And um, one thing I found with teaching, like at ReaperCon, I can teach whatever, but I also I'm also conscious of the classes that sell well because you know. Um, that's how they're making money for the con, you know, basically. Um, And also to pay for all of us coming out and stuff. But, uh, but like at Adepticon, it's like non-metallic metal, weathering, wet blending, uh, airbrushing. Those are the classes that sell. Right. Um, You want to do something else? It might be a little harder to sell that class. I'm not saying that you can do a faces class or a hair class and it wouldn't sell like crazy. But what I've seen of my own classes, every time I do something weird, like I did a basing class last year at ReaperCon and at Adepticon. And Adepticon, I sold one of the classes out. The second version of it was like half full. Um, This year I just did like, I've taught the classes that I taught at Adepticon so many years in a row. You just think eventually people are not going to come to them, right? It's no, they just do. Like everyone wants to learn non-metallic metal. Everyone wants to learn how to blend. Everyone wants to learn how to do weathering or whatever. And those are the hot sellers, you know? So it's like, don't fight it. Just do it, you know, type of thing. But I do like uh, ReaperCon because sometimes I can veer outside the box a little bit and be like, let's do this weird class and see what happens, you know? Um, but I always feel bad when there's like one person signed up. You're just like, oh, sorry, Reaper. <laughs> I just wasted one of your rooms and, you know, well, you probably teach more than five classes, though, don't you? You probably teach. Um, I, at ReaperCon, I teach four. Oh, you um, teach four? Okay. Yeah, I used to teach as, as many as they'd have me. Like, I remember doing, like, I think eight one year. Um, but uh, you don't get paid to do ReaperCon, so you they pay your way to get there. Like, if you do four classes or more, they'll pay your way and pay for your hotel room. Um, and so what I realized was when I signed up for a million classes, even though they only asked for four, I was working the entire weekend and Reaper con is kind of my paid vacation. So they pay for me to come out and I get to see all my friends. Um, if I'm working the entire con, it's not yeah. so much fun. And they're not asking for that. Like every year they'd be like, what are you doing? You're here. Like we want you to have fun, you know? So now I do the minimum for, um, I try to do classes that, that people like, so they sell well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I enjoy my time with my friends at ReaperCon, which is, 
the best part. So right. um, I've cut way back. I had, uh, I don't know if you know, Jeff Davis, he's up in, uh, in Canada um, from Hecatina miniatures. Um, he, uh, he did like eight classes last year and he goes, yeah, lesson learned. I was way strung out. Like <laughs> it was just, it was a lot, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm like, yeah, you never got to hang out with us at all. Like once, you know, and that would have been a lot of fun. You know, so he's like, yeah, I'm definitely cutting it back next year. So I think he's like, I'm going to do seven. I'm like, no, no, no. Do like four or five. Like, <laughs> it's all good. You know, I did but, six um, last year and I was uh, whooped. Yeah. 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 I, I, it was just whooped. And then it was, the, I did ba all basing. <laughs> and so I was constantly carrying this massive tub of basing materials around with me from Everyone? class to class. Oh, and, man. Yeah. You know, and it was just, and, and, it's a messy class. So I was always like throwing stuff in. Massive like I'm like, I, and, right. Yeah. And they're, they're right on top. It like people are asking questions and you're trying to be polite and clean up at the same time. And the next class is coming in. So I'm just throwing stuff in the box. And then I have to go back and like spend like two hours reorganizing the box. I yeah. was like, I'm only going to do five this year and I'm doing some different ones. You know. <laughs> so one of the things that we did, we found that, um, Passing out stuff to your students, if you can streamline that is probably the most effective thing you can do as a teacher on these, on these two hour classes, which really means you have about an hour and a half, maybe hour 45 total, um, before you got to start wrapping it up. Uh, probably half hour of that is passing paint out on anybody's class because you know how it works. You pass it out to the first row. They in turn pass it to the second row and that's where it sits. Until you go, does everyone got their paint? We're ready to go. Cause you're still talking about the step they're going to do. And then everyone goes, we don't have paint. So then you wait another 10 minutes for it. And that happens with every pot of paint that goes around. Right. So Reaper actually sponsored my classes, um, like for Adepticon by sending paint for every table in the classroom. So I, and I, like, I half asked them knowing they would say no, but like Reaper has always been really good to me. Like um, they're really good to everybody really. Um, but they're like, yeah, sure. We'll do it. Um, now, will they do that for everybody? I don't know. Cause they gave me like $800 worth of paint. <laughs> it was crazy. It was crazy. And then COVID happened. I didn't get to use it. Um, <laughs> but we, we have used it twice now the last two years, but that, that one thing being able to put my paints out on each table. Um, now my classes are very, very streamlined. I can have more students. We, I teach more, which is good. You know, Liz isn't frantically running around making, you know, trying to find who didn't get their paint because everyone's got it. They've all got it at their table. There's no reason not to have their paint. So um, that, that was a huge thing for us. Like just, just streamlining the class experience for people um, was huge. Yeah. What do I found the wet palette thing seems to delay stuff too. Like people each time having to create their wet palette and yeah. So, so that was, that's one thing like uh, uh, we actually got this year, we got everyone in the class to clean up their wet palette and then reset it up for the next person in the next class. That helps. That helps a lot, especially when you have 24 students, that helps a, a lot, a lot. Um, but my other way of doing it was I have a Liz, you know, which most people don't have, right. uh, you know, a Liz with them at the show, you know, um, and so that, that has helped a lot over the years. Like I look, I look at it now and I'm like, if you weren't at the convention, I don't know if I would want to teach. <laughs> I remember starting classes like dripping with sweat, you know, because you're running around the classroom trying to get wet palettes and paint out to people. And, and then you stop and you're just soaking wet and you're like, great. I'm the sweaty teacher, you know, like it's just, <laughs> it's just gross, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm definitely thankful for Liz has been a like hugely, uh, a, a reason for success and the fact that we can run larger classes now and teach more students, which in turn means, you know, at Adepticon, it means uh, we pay our taxes this year, you know, so <laughs> it all works out, you know, but, um, but yeah, just thinking about like, if you're, if you're like looking at being a teacher or you are a teacher and you want to get it more streamlined, like figuring out, the logistics of everything like like you're doing a basing class everything should be in plastic bags like every student's kit is ready to go you know um and that leaves you a minimum of of getting set up type of things um and so that's what we did with the regular painting classes and that's been great um so i, w I think i would have to switch away from lynn using uh texture paste 
and go. Yeah, back that's to the hard part. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, or like, right. Wow. And this is where it helps to have an assistant. They're, they're doing salsa cups with a little texture paint in each one, you know, like, so it's, and then put the lid on so it doesn't dry as fast. You know, I mean, it's still going to dry, but um, yeah. So little, like the thing is, if there's like one thing that you have to pass out, it's not so bad when it's like every color and then, you know, and then you always get that one table that's just not paying attention. So like it never makes it past that, like ever, you know? Oh ah. my goodness. Yeah. Yes. No, I mean, it's, yeah. As being both teacher now and student in classes, totally. Yeah. Can we have the damn paint please? You know? Yeah. The, the other thing is, it was funny. I, I was told this at Adepticon this year and I've been told before in some of my weekend, like master classes, um, uh, when I was in Northern California, uh, Seth Amsden, who's running the game cast up there, uh, he he's uh, set up the class, so we gave him a free spot. So he he was able to attend like one day, and he he came the first day, and he goes afterwards we were eating lunch, and he goes he goes, do you know that? Or we're like, how do you like the class so far? Is there anything we can do better? That's the other thing. Ask your students for feedback because a lot of times you'll get some really good info, you know. Um, so uh, I was like, you know, was there, you know, what do you think we could do better, whatever? And he goes, he goes, quite honestly, you're the first teacher to ever come in here and not spend the first hour explaining why they were here and how good they were at painting. And I was like, well, they already bought the ticket. Like, I, like you can explain myself all you want, but like, you already bought the ticket. I don't need to sell the class again, you know? And, um, but I think a lot of people, they, you know, we're all artists and we all have this, you know, we're like not good enough type of thing. But you're there for a reason, you know, and they bought the ticket. So they already like you or or they lost a bet. One of the two, you know, but it's uh, <laughs> it's all good, you know. So so that was that's the other thing. Like you can save a lot of time by not having to explain who you are and how many golden demons you've won and or not won or, you know, um, you know, my wife really likes my painting. You know, like <laughs> My mom said this was cool. Like, that's why you're here. No, they already bought the ticket. They're already there. You know, just, just, uh, you know, and that's the other thing with teaching, teach what you know. <clears throat> you may not know at all on a specific subject, but teach what you know, um, because that's why people are there. They're there to learn. Like everyone does something a little bit like the way you do basing is probably different than the way I do it. Um, on certain things massively on other things, maybe we do things exactly the same, but as a student, if you take a basing class from me and then take a basing class from you, you're, you're still going to get different things. Like there might be a way that you prep something that's just mind blowing and revolutionary. You know, that's why you're taking those classes, you know, not to be like, walk out of the class and you're like, I'm the, the end all. I know everything about basing now. It's, it's just, you know, learning, learning different things and finding out what sticks in your own paint style, you know? So. Right. Yeah, and absolutely. That's that's such good advice to like. Uh, I always called it staying in my lane. That yeah. uh, probably my area of, of strength right now is my composition and creativity, mm -hmm. and so those those areas lend themselves to really good to basing. You, you, know. you roll with it. And that that's the thing. Like I've been in situations where like I don't teach certain things. Like I don't teach freehand. I can do freehand, but I'm not great at it. Like let someone who's really, really good at freehand teach it because they probably have all the tricks, you know. I've got a couple that get me by, you know, and then the rest is just hard work and determination until I make it look good, you know. Um, but uh, but I found that like if I'm teaching that, uh, immediately doubt comes into my head because I don't really know what I'm talking about, you know. No one wants the doubting, the doubting themselves teacher, you know, <laughs> like it, it just doesn't work. When you're confident with what you're doing because this is how I do it. I'm just showing you how I do this particular thing. Um, I think that breeds confidence in the students too, you know, and, and, and again, if they take one thing out of your class that, that they can lock onto and makes their life better, or their hobby and experience better, that's, that's what it's all about. And that's why we're there as a teacher, you know, um, if you're just not confident at all, they're going to pick up on that. And then now they're going to be like, well, nothing this guy says is worth anything because, you know, so how do you blend? Well, I'm not really sure, but sometimes this works, you know, like nobody wants that teacher, you know, right? <laughs> I've actually had people that were teaching at conventions message me and go, you know, I'm teaching at this convention. What should I teach? And I'm like, I don't know what you do. You know, like, I know you paint miniatures, but what do you do? 
Mm-hmm. You know, like that's, you, you shouldn't be asking me what to teach. You should, you know, you should already know like, Hey, I'm pretty good at eyes and eye class would be great. then, you know, cause mm-hmm. everyone freaking hates doing eyes, you know, like, right. Right. If you got some good tips, I'm all ears, you know, type of thing. So that that's just one of those things. If you're going to, if you're going to teach, you know, teach what you know, and then don't be afraid of what you don't know about that subject. You're telling them what you do know, you know? And I think, I think everyone's better off for it, you know? <clears throat> yeah. I, and this year I'm taking, I'm doing two brush, uh, two brush, no, uh, whatchamacallit, two uh, basing classes. And then uh, I'm doing uh, edge highlighting and black lining class. Okay. And uh, I'm, I've done, I put in Purdue twice, once during the week and then once on Saturday. You should do the black lining class and like show up with a crazy paintbrush, like one of those four inchers. <laughs> Just to see everyone's face, you know, like, okay, black lining, you need like real fine precision. You're just like, no, you just slather the bottle. It's cool. Like, right. We're good. <laughs> a big pot of like latex, like yeah, made out of latex a- paint. <laughs> <laughs> it's just completely opaque. You're like, right. well, it's kind of like black lining. They're in all the lines. It's just everywhere else too. But you know, hey, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And I was at, uh, I was debating about doing, uh, I've been working on this thing of, uh, brush control exercises uh-huh. and basically kind of doing it as a workshop. Like, uh, I call it a brush control workout with people like kind of go through types of brushes and then, uh, different brush control exercises, uh, to kind of increase muscle memory. You know what I mean? Right. No, I think so, that's a good idea. Cause who does, nobody does that. Right. <laughs> really? Um, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, little things like that, like, especially if you start breaking, breaking down, uh, it's kind of like how, like in my airbrushing classes, I used to always think like, well, how do you get some, what do they practice on? Like, honestly, what do you practice on with airbrushing? Like your favorite model? Probably not. Like, you know, and then I, I started thinking, I'm like, well, you know, the safe, the safest place is, is practicing with your priming. You can practice precision airbrushing with priming. And at the end of the day, the model's going to be all black. So who cares if, if it's speckly? Who cares if you spray too much? Who cares? It, there's no messed up prime job ever, you know? Well, I guess I'm sure you could mess it up, but, you know. Um, but as you're learning, and, and, and so when I, when I figured that out, I was like, that is, that is a really good place to learn. Also, primer's a little bit thicker than normal paint. So when you actually do get to your normal paint, it's a little bit easier than when you were priming. You know, like you have more control. So, um, so I started teaching my classes that way for, for that, but I kind of do the same thing in other, you know, like if you're web blending or whatever, you know, breaking it down into motions that are repeatable, you know, um, that's the other thing that I learned the hard way is, is just because somebody paid for a class doesn't mean you need to tell them everything about that particular subject. So I used to do my web blending classes. I did four forms of web blending. And what I found after a few years was we were always at a race to finish all four forms because, you know, you only have two hours and, um, and no one understood the last two because we had to really motor through those. And so I changed it to just two forms of wet blending and voila, everyone's like getting it much better, you know? And so you don't need it. It's not like, uh, you have to tell so much stuff. I think if they learn something, it's more important than the amount of stuff you spit at them you know <laughs> right what they take away too yeah and well you know let's if you don't mind you kind of following up so what like how has teaching impacted your painting um i don't i don't know <laughs> i i think <laughs> i think honestly i looked at t- i i paid more attention to my painting which i think helped my painting in the long run um, a lot of times we paint and you're just on autopilot, right? You're, you're, you know, you had a long, hard day at work. You start painting your space frames immediately. You're in this fantasy world and you're killing orcs and painting your space frames. Um, and you don't really think about the actual act of painting other than, the, you know, the next morning you wake up and you're like, it was a five-year-old coming here and paint my models, you know, like what happened? Um, but when I started teaching, I started, uh, I started paying attention to my students and also trying to understand why they couldn't get what I was telling them. And that's when I started breaking my processes down into smaller chunks. Like, Oh, if you control the paint this way, it's much easier um, for you to get the effect you want. 
But if you don't know to control your paint, you're just, you know, I've, I've painted with some people that are very heavy handed. Like, you know, I, I, I can say that I've always had like a pretty good touch, but I've seen guys like, I mean, it's almost like they take a, a, a crowbar to their miniature, like with their paintbrush. Like it is like as hard as they can push those bristles into the model. And you're like, whoa, hold on, you know? So I would have never noticed that if I hadn't started paying attention to people paint and everything. And so the more I paid attention to my own painting, I think I started, I, I it was more reliable. Like you do a technique and you could repeat the technique over and over again because you knew what you were doing. It wasn't just, it magically happened. You know, I got lucky that time again, you know, <laughs> and my first 10 years painting was all about luck. Like <laughs> I, I remember um, uh, coming out of like a golden demon and I was like, if anything happens to this model going up to the contest or coming away from the contest, I don't know how to fix it because I don't know how I got to this point. Like I just painted until I thought, okay, this is good enough to hopefully win. And, and in some cases that they did win, you know, but I could have never recreated what I did. And now I can recreate pretty much anything I do because I understand how I did it now. And I, that I think is the biggest difference. I think I learned more teaching in the first few years than my students. <laughs> it's just, I don't know if what that says about my teaching, but um, you know, it was just always like, it was, it was looking deeper at what I was doing. And, and I think I'm a better teacher for it now too. Um, but, but I'm definitely a better painter because of it, you know? Yeah. It absolutely feeds into itself for sure. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, the fact that you, you're learning from your students and learning from your processes and stuff, that's, that's awesome. That's a, yeah. that's a great thing. It's always more steps on the better, braver, happier journey, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, take my online classes that we did. We started those during COVID and, um, cause there weren't any, you couldn't go to a class. <laughs> and, um, but what we did is we had, we had flyers that went out after each class and like, Hey, what did we do? Good. What could we do better? Blah, blah, blah. And Liz and I would literally, we're like half dead that night, you know, Oh my gosh, we made it through another class. <laughs> and we'd be going through that list of things. And like some, you know, a, a lot of it was really good feedback. You know, every once in a while you'd be like, you guys suck or whatever. But um, actually I don't think we had any of quite that bad, but but what we learned was we actually, the classes evolved very quickly into a really good experience for the students because we listened to the students and, and, you know, some of the, some of the suggestions are not feasible. Like people don't, you know, you just sort of, Hey, you should do this. Not realizing that that would be like 84 hours worth of work and it's not physically possible through a computer, you know? Um, but uh, you should fly to every student's house. Okay. Yeah. We are totally going to lose our shirts in this class. Um, <laughs> make them dinner while they paint yeah <laughs> $150 class cost me $400 for the plane flight yeah that's I don't know um, but uh, but um, yeah I mean it's just it's just listening to the feedback of your listening to your your uh, students or customers if they're paying for the class is I think just as important as doing the class itself you know um, and then taking it with a grain of salt, it's just like getting feedback for some of your work, you know, maybe you took a crappy picture, maybe it is super saturated and that person's telling you to saturate everything, you know, um, when I first started, we all had crappy cameras. So, um, it was always like, you need more contrast. I'm like, it's literally black to white. Like, I don't know how much more contrast I can put into this thing. But that was because my photograph was taking the color black as like a mid-tone gray. Well, of course you don't have enough contrast, you know? And so, you know, you would end up with these funny looking models because you were trying to chase whatever critique you got online. But then once I realized that like, well, take it with a grain of salt. If they're saying I need more contrast and I clearly have tons of contrast, it's, I'm probably okay there, you know? And same thing with teaching. You know, if they, if somebody says something, you should change this or you should change that, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Is it, you know, if you hear it a couple times, it's probably true. If it's just once, you know, people are crazy. I'm crazy. So, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Don't change everything off one person's opinion, you know, I guess is, is the main thing. But also be willing to change. Like um, a lot of people, they'll have, uh, and I, myself included, you know, when I was younger, have an idea and you kind of fall in love with the idea or it's your baby, you know, like this is my pet project. We're going to do this. And then it doesn't really work out or it would be better a different way. And people are so unwilling to change that they just stick with the, the bad first idea, you know, because that was 
that was my idea though. I was so excited about it. And I, and that happens a lot with, with your artwork, right? You're doing, you have a project and you start doing it. And then somewhere along the line, you're like, this is, this was a bad idea. <laughs> like, like composition doesn't work. You, you need to, you need to be uh, strong enough to go, okay, half my diorama is going to get cut off and I'm going to rearrange things. Maybe the, the one part I thought was the best part isn't even the diorama anymore. But the key is that it's the best diorama it could possibly be. You know, like you're, you, you make, you make changes for the betterment of your piece. Um, same thing with your classes, same thing, same thing really in life. I think, you know, don't get too sold on the first idea, like be willing to change. So we always say here, like a miniature monthly, we're like, you know, put like, if you have, if we have an idea for a class or, or a product or something, okay, we'll put it out or simply the arrangement of our desk to work at. We'll put it out and we call it living in it. We live in it for a couple months and don't change a thing. And then after a couple months, if you're really irritated about a certain thing, you, you change it, you know, like, but, but you're always willing to change to make it better, you know? So that being said, yes, I like, I like my desk layout right now. It's really cool. So I'm not going to sell any of my services right now, but I'll be contacting you later. Yeah. So I have this little book right here. And it has all of my notes in it from things that I want to come up with, um, kind of ideas and uh, right, to right. talk about. So um, I have a, a behavioral science background and Joseph Campbell uh, is a pretty good author and he's done some really, really cool books. And this is what he wrote. And, and this is what he wrote. And we were I was going to talk to Mike about doing a show. Uh-huh. It says, we must be willing to let go of that life we planned so that we can make the life that has been waiting for us. That is pretty close to what you were just talking about. You got to let that go sometimes. And yes, it kills your ego. Um, It feels like you're a failure. Sometimes you feel that way. Um, But maybe it just wasn't meant. Maybe it was just that taking that first step, like, Hey, in this diorama, it got me thinking about more. And yeah, I was thinking about the space Marine on top of the mountain, killing an orc. But as I created it and started to think about it and started to put it together, now it's a space marine on a spaceship and he's, you know, he's fighting, a, you know, a demon or something. Tyranids or uh, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, it changes it and you're like, wow, you know what? I really, really wanted that work in there. But yeah. I, I, I realized that this is much better. This is a better diorama. This is a, and I feel good about it. I yeah. wasn't, you know, I didn't have to stop or someone and give uh, a, a sort of feedback that said, hey, I don't like that. That wasn't good. Or maybe you should do that. You let it naturally evolve and you made those choices. Right. And I think I think that's where people sometimes they get a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, a little bit of butt pucker before projects, you know, they, they start clenching <laughs> because you're like, OK, the last project I had, it didn't work out the way I wanted to. It was my it was my baby again. I loved it and nobody liked mm-hmm. it. You know, that hurts. Right. Um, or it's just like, you know, I, I didn't get as many likes as I thought on Facebook or something. So um, so then the next project. Uh, they just stall or they just don't do anything. But if you go into each project going, Hey, you know what? We're just going to take the first step. We're going to start moving forward. And if I need to make a right hand turn and go sideways, I'm going to do it. I've opened myself up to that, you know, like nothing set in stone. Um, And I think that starts opening you up and you're more willing to start projects. Like it, like it, like you just start projects. A project will never get finished if you don't start it. (laughs) Believe me, I know. <laughs> uh, that was that was something I wrote, um, and, and I'll, I'll share it here uh, with uh, with a with a coach uh, friend. Uh, we were talking about how to start journeys, mm-hmm. and uh, you everybody hears, uh, you know, the f- the first step. Uh, what is it? Something about your journey starts with your first step, or something like that. Um, so we were talking, and I said to her, um, "No, your journey doesn't start." until you put your boots on and she thought for a second she's like you know you know sometimes you got to prepare but that was years ago and as a planner someone who likes to plan things out there is no way that i can um try to put a diorama or a paint uh scheme together because it always changes and i know that i'm mixing different uh thoughts in here uh, right. But, um, 
you know, when you want to take that, when you want to take that step and you want to start your journey of your diorama or your painting, um, you can't, you can't front load everything. You can't say, well, okay, here's all the paints I'm going to use. Here's the 15 different figures I'm going to use, uh, because you've narrowed now your, your focus and you yeah. can't, or you can, but it's going to take a lot more to say, well, I invested 30 hours putting this together. I invested all this money, but man, I got a really cool idea now. And now you feel like you're kind of stuck. And now yeah, that's like yeah, only like, being oh. able to hit a fastball and then the picture throws you curves. <laughs> you're like, well, yeah. well then I quit, you know, no, yeah, exactly. learn how to hit yep. the curveball. Like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I gotta go. I gotta go play something else now. Uh, no, and that can be very discouraging because I'm pretty sure there's a lot of us painters that like the planning part of it in the process. More often um, than not. And and I think also, uh, just like think about like the last project you did that was really big, it had a big scope and you never finished it because it kind of went sideways and it just didn't work out. But you spent like 60 hours on it. Like that's a massive amount of time to just be wasted, you know? So that reinforces our not wanting to do anything. You're like, well, last time I did this, it was really bad, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But I think you can't look at it that way. And I think some of that 60 hours wasted was you weren't willing to turn right when you needed to, you know, or re refocus and move a little bit differently. Um, and I think that happens, you know, so someone comes up, I've, I see it all the time in contests. I spent a hundred hours on this and I got, you know, uh, honorable mention or something, you know, like just not what I was expecting. And, and they're so bummed and it's like, well, yeah, but you can also spend a hundred hours in the wrong direction. You know, like, like I've done that, you know? So it, it really is one of those things where I think if you start opening yourself up to change and doing something different, um, that helps. So my, my golden demon project that I've been working on for the last year and a half, um, I had it originally set up kind of as a long rectangle box. And it was coming, it was really cool, super cool. But then I showed my buddy and he's like, it's too much of a rectangle box. Like there's no, there's no good way of viewing this. And, and I knew exactly what I was talking about. Cause in the back of my head, I'm thinking the same thing, you know, but at the same time, you're like, well, I've spent a lot of time on this. And, but it was like, I found that it was actually easier than I thought to change the shape of the diorama. So now it's in the perfect viewing angle for what I needed. But I would have never known that without starting it the way it was, you know, sometimes you just got to start in the wrong direction, you know, but at least you start it and, and then you make decisions to make it for the betterment of the product process. You know, you're, you become the Tao of miniature painters, you know, the, grand, <laughs> the greater good is happening, you know, and, and at the end of the day, maybe you still get an honorable mention, but you know, it was a better piece than it would have been. So who cares? You know, right. um, like I said, if you put your heart and soul into something, you're going to come home with a really awesome piece that you can be proud of in your collection. And if nobody else liked it, then whatever, but <laughs> I just go by fake it till I make it. Yeah, you know, fake like, it. <laughs> that's the other. That's the other thing. You know, just uh, Liz. Liz always says I'm the bull in the china shop. Like she's like very calm and collected, and like we're gonna do this and take two steps in and two, one step back, and I'm just like barge into the room and run over anything that's in the in your way. You know, um, so <laughs> maybe maybe in some ways you need a partner who helps counter that <laughs> behavior. Right. But... Yes, you should always have a compliment. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so, right. but or, I, or you could do something like uh, hire a miniature monthly as a coach. Yeah, that that you could do that too. Um, <laughs> that that always that that can help. Well, and, I think uh, it's important. Now, I think that's one of the things that we never really touch on as much as we should probably on the podcast is the importance um, and value of private coaching and getting getting. For lack of a Mike, we phrase. have that as a tier in Patreon. I know, but we don't have anybody who does it. So and no, they're probably not even listening. So. They're not yeah. even yeah. listening. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, so when you want to, yeah, when you want a real coach or teacher, yeah, you just go to Mentor Monthly. They'll they'll, <laughs> they'll hook you up. But I, I think they have the value of it. I mean, I guess it kind of was. I knew the importance of it. I've done a couple of sessions here and there with people, but I think that the taking the loaded brush class, the, the five minutes of one-on-one -on -one time with Ben Kometz mm -hmm. was invaluable. Like the, yeah. the rest of the class. Okay, great. But that five minutes was so like totally changed my direction and opinion. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah, 
it's, it it's, just it's opens a up a, opens a door and what's funny is you might go through that door and then suddenly the technique even morphs even further to a technique you can do really easily so like like my version of Ben's loaded brush is not Ben's loaded brush like <laughs> but it, but it works for me every single time and the way he does it I I to this day can still not do it like I'm like you know I don't understand I've seen it I've talked to him I've sat with him I just like the way my hand presses pre- presses on the paint I don't know it just doesn't work as good but the way I've learned it works great and you know it's just different you know, and I think, I think, um, going back to the teaching and coaching and stuff, I will tell you that all, uh, well, most of the top tier painters that I'm seeing come up through the ranks right now have between one and three, sometimes four private coachings a month by different teachers. Uh, yeah, Will Hahn, I think Will Hahn, when he started, had, he had three different private coachings. It was, it was me, Richard Gray and somebody else. Alfonso. I, no, no, no. He, the, he was on Alfonso. So Alfonso only takes the best of the best. <laughs> so, so you got to get in line first. He's got to, he's got to be like, okay, I think I can teach you to be like Grandmaster Flash, like the best ever. And I get it. He only has so much time. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, so Will was on the list. He was on the short list to get in once somebody either died or <laughs> moved on from their private coaching. I think he filled Eric Swinson's spot because Eric got a gold at Monte San Savino and Alfonso was like, I can't tell you, I can't make you any better. It's on you now. Like you, like mm-hmm. you just be the artist you're going to be, you know, um, which at a certain point, that's what you have to do too. You know, you can't like no coach is going to get you over to this crescendo where you're just the best painter ever. Part of it is in you and your dedication and, and your artistic talent or whatever. Um, so, uh, but, but uh, so Will was on the short list for Alfonso, but he was also getting, I, I think he might've been on Ben comments too. I'm not sure, but like I see these guys time and time again, they're going after it and they do value, they value the, 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 uh, uh, private coaching or just classes or whatever. Um, I think it's, it's of great value, you know? And like, I wish I had that option back when I was coming up through the ranks, you know, like we'd go to a master class once a year, like that was our big splurge or whatever. But if I could have had access to a bin comments, you know, when I was 35, yeah, totally all day long, because that's what I wanted. You know, some people don't want that. They don't care. You know, I want to learn it all on my own. That's great. You know, or I just want to do army painting. But even with army painting, you get yourself a coach, even for a couple few months. And it's amazing the world they open up to you. Because, you know, like my my wet blending took me like seven years to figure that out. You know, you take my blending 101 class, you learn it in the first half an hour. You know, seven years, half an hour. You decide what you want to do, you know. But for me, I would pick the half hour all day long, <laughs> you know. Like that was a brutal seven years, you know, because there was literally nobody to tell you anything back then, you know. Um, right now, now it's much better. You got a lot more going on. But even, even you know, you look at like YouTube videos and stuff are great, but you really got to fish through them to find the good information because there's a lot of people just making YouTube videos, you know. Um, shoot, there's a lot of people that they ran out of ideas for YouTube videos. So they're just making stuff up at this point, you know, and it's entertaining and everything, but like, it has nothing to do with actual painting, you know? Um, so, you know, either do I have thousands of hours to watch YouTube videos? So I find the video that actually, and I, I got this firsthand when I was learning blender. Um, I watched so many videos. Finally, I was like, screw it. I'm signing up for like two or three Patreons. And I finally found like uh, Maker's Tales, which is how I learned Blender. Um, but it was like, it's just much easier just to go and ask someone directly like, hey, you've been through this. How do you do this? You know, mm-hmm. I may still not know exactly how to do it after asking the question, but at least I have an answer. And it's from someone who knows what they're doing, you know. And and so I've just found that the 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 the, the people who are, actively advancing their education are doing so much quicker now and they're doing really good. So, mm-hmm. you know, it is what it is. Um, yeah. I so know, yeah. Sign up today. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. I mean, that's part of the purpose of the podcast is to make sure people meet and uh, remember you're alive. (laughs) Remember you're alive. (laughs) Right. Research that, uh, you know, do the research forum and they can find it. Look at these, all these different, 
potentials for growing. I think, you know, and it's interesting because you were absolutely right. Like I was talking to Chris Surrey, he's with Alfonso and Ben Kovitz. And then Anthony Wang is with like, with, with Alfonso and a couple other people as well. And it's just like, first, where the hell do you get the money to get three? (laughs) That's what I want to know. I I am really, really under, I think after a while, it, just turns into like a friendship and it gets kind of like weird when you pay your friends to hang out with you. So they really don't charge anymore. Yeah. It's, it's, (laughs) it's funny because uh, you say that. (laughs) That's just my observation. My my friends were paying to hang out with me back in the day. So I'm, it's kind of the same. Okay. I know. I mean, I have to pay people to hang out with me too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, But, but it, but it's, yeah. It, it's one of those things. It is, it can be kind of weird sometimes, but, but not really. I mean, this is what I do for my job and people come and go all the time. So I'm not, you know, it's not, it's not that weird. I totally appreciate it too. There's some people who sign up for private coaching and never show up. They're just, they're just uh, supporting you with 50 bucks a month or 60 bucks a month or whatever, you know? So um, there's that too. Like you got to realize like your financial, this is what I learned in business class. So I'm really horrible at business. Um, uh, maybe better than most artists, but I'm still pretty horrible at it. Um, so we, we signed up for a business class like online and it was, it was really good. And um, one of the first things they said is don't let your financial situation dictate your pricing. So mm-hmm. if I let my financial situation today dictate my price, um, it would be like $2 a month. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then, and then you're like, well, now I have to fulfill on that. Like I, you know, I have to, you know, do all these right. things. Um, or people get mad at you. They get mad at you either way. If you're making tons of money or making no money, you know, they're like, they want the product they purchased or whatever. Right. Um, so, um, it kind of is what it is, but, but, um, there's people out there that $10,000 is nothing. Yeah. I have, I have one of my customers back in San Diego, his petty cash, the wad of like, so what do you have in your wallet right now? I've, I think I have $40. Like I, I, because I don't spend cash. I, and I've had too many times where I had uh, no money and, and just my wallet. So, and, and no credit card or anything. Yeah, exactly. So most people have a few bucks in their wallet, right? Yeah. Or none. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So I have 40, this guy carried 10,000. Wow. Yeah. There's not even a, there's no way you can either fathom what that guy's life is like. Can we get an address? I can go like, yeah. (laughs) Rob him real quick. He's like the coolest guy too. He's a nerdy gamer. Showed up at the game store in a Rolls Royce, you know, because that's just that was the car he had. He didn't have another car. Sorry, damn. I have a Rolls Royce. Um. So, but but it's just a different. You don't understand other people's financial situation, and uh, clearly they probably don't understand yours either, because it's like 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 this guy when he would go somewhere, like he's like, hey, we're going to um. LVO, which he went to LVO a bunch of times and competed in tournaments and stuff. Um, the the friends that he brought with him, none of them could afford A, the hotel he was in, B, any of the restaurants he went to, and C, um, the private jet that would fly him there. So none of, none of his friends could afford that. None of them. So he just would pay for everyone. Damn. And it Damn. was nothing. It was like nothing. It wasn't, it wasn't like... He made more that morning waking up than the trip cost, you know, by a long shot. Wow. You know, this guy was making like a million dollars a day. Um, <laughs> just so that's the reality of some people. Then I have my reality, which is like, I ain't paying five bucks for anything, you know? Like, whatever. <laughs> um, but, but, but when you're pricing yourself or when you're creating a product or whatever, you can't, you can't go with what you know. You have to go with what uh, either A, the market will bear or B, you just, you, you got to do some research and find out who are the customers that are buying my stuff, you know? Right. Um, and, and that's important because otherwise you're going to undercharge. Um, the funny thing is you're still going to be too expensive for the people who can't afford you. And then the people who can afford you aren't going to want to use you because they think you're too cheap. That's not a product I want. Hmm. You know, do you think uh, a rich person is going to come to a, a, a one of the Patreon painters, you know, a Ben Comets and Ben's like, I'm $10 an hour for private coaching. No, because anybody can get that. I want a guy who's you know, like untouchable, you know, right. like, 
<laughs> so there's, it's a little bit different, you know, obviously, obviously you can't charge too much, but, um, but I think, I think you also can't really put your own financial situation on what you're charging, you know, mm-hmm. and, and some people, they're never going to be able to afford it. And I feel bad, but also I got to feed my family. And I think the best thing, the best thing that ever happened to me as a miniature painter doing it professionally and being a teacher and a coach and all that stuff was I went bankrupt after having my silkscreen shop. And nobody came to my rescue. None of my customers that I gave deals to or were super cool with or, you know, went on trips with or anything. None of them came to my rescue when I went down, you know. In fact, my best customer said, you should have charged more. (laughs) I was like, wow, that hurts. But, you know, you're right, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I just learned that, you know, not everyone's going to be able to afford what you're doing, but also you need to be able to feed your family at the end of the day. And if you can't do that, you should really do something else. Like that's the first thing. Right. But, but on the other end of it, you got to at least feed your family. And I learned that my pricing is based off me feeding my family. That's it. You know, if uh, 99% of the quotes that I put out for commission painting are never even responded to, <laughs> like it's like, just like, I'm not even going to say no because you know, like it's, and I'm not the most expensive painter out there, you know? Oh no. Um, but I learned to be okay with that because I'm also a people pleaser and I want people to be like, Oh my gosh, that was so cool that you painted that for me. But if my kid's not eating breakfast because I didn't charge enough, you know, and I'm working for free at this point, that doesn't help my family. So I think having a family definitely helped. And also having that experience early on in life going bankrupt, um, help too, you know? <laughs> so yeah, a lot of life lessons there for sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So anyways, <laughs> <sighs> so the, the, the hard the, part the, of business or the painting business, you gotta, you gotta value yourself. And sometimes you gotta put your, like a little bit more value on you to get more people to value more. Like it's really mm-hmm. weird how that works, but, um, you know, yeah, it's like I mean, that, it's all perception, right? Like, you know, there, later, there was that, a, when Patreon first came out, there was a lot of blowback um, uh, of like, how could these people be charging for videos when you can get them for free on YouTube and all this stuff? And it was like, yeah, but none of the top painters are doing videos on YouTube at that point. None of them were because right. there's, they were like just barely surviving and feeding themselves. They couldn't stop and edit a video, you know, like it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And Patreon came along and all of a sudden it started happening, you know, and then it allowed people to do it on regular YouTube too. Like you see Andy Wardles of the world and those guys doing YouTube videos and stuff and being pretty successful with that. You know, I don't know how much they make off those YouTube videos, but um, they're able to do it. Um, I think a lot yeah. of it's repurposed Patreon stuff. Yeah. I think, yeah. I, I, or shortened Patreon and right. Right. You know. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that made a, that made a huge change. And all of a sudden you started seeing better content coming out. I think the whole community got better because of it, you know? So, right. you know, it's, 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 it's just strange. I don't know. People are weird. You just got to be confident. And <laughs> if you're going to do this as a business, you got to get confident in your own work and your, in your pricing and just stick with it. Don't, don't don't have your children starve or your future children or <laughs> yeah. you ain't gonna have any children if you can't go on a date so you gotta right. charge enough to at least do that you know um you know and i've seen a lot of my friends who are top top tier painters and the you know miniature painters um especially before the patreon days like literally could do nothing they were so broke you know and you're you're like number one in your field like how sucky is that? You win the Super Bowl and then you go home and you're like, sorry, babe, we can't eat this week because, you know, I don't get paid to play football because I love it, you know? Right. <laughs> like that would that would suck, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> so I don't know. Anyways, the fun of money. <laughs> the, the, the podcast for people is a roller coaster of, you know, yeah, like, you know, it's horror like stories, business advice, financial, you know, like, for the love of God, feed your children, you know, yeah. there's really what it comes down to feed your children or the hope to have children eventually, or, you know, the hope to never have children that costs money too sometimes. So, you know, like either, either way, kids get involved somehow. Right. <laughs> fuck everything up. Yeah, exactly. Well, I always told people, I go, you know, um, you know, when, when my kids were growing up, you know, they didn't care that I painted for George R. R. Martin. They could give, they could care less. 
all they cared about was that they were eating, you know, they have their fruit loops in the morning, you know? So if I, if I went into painting for George R. R. Martin, you know, like, Oh my gosh, I'm Uber fan. I'll do it for free or I'll do it at a cut rate because you're so awesome. Um, that my kids wouldn't have cared. They don't know who he is. Like now they look at it and they're like, Oh, that was actually pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) But, but back then they just were hungry, you know? And, and that kept me leveled. I think really at the end of the day, you know, it was like, this is a job. doesn't matter who you're doing the job for. Um, You need, you need a fair compensation. That's what, that's what I always called it. You know, maybe one day we'll get to the point where like, it's actually a recognized art form. And I think we're getting pretty close. I mean, there's a, a couple big time museums that are about to open that are just miniature art. And I'll tell you this right now, the last, um, the last crystal brush that they had at Adepticon, we went to the Chicago museum of art before that Adepticon. And after seeing the art in the Chicago museum of art, and then coming back and doing crystal brush, I can honestly say at least 10 of those people, uh, 10 of those models that were in crystal brush would have looked totally at home in the Chicago museum of art, Mm -hmm. like as like, uber million dollar artworks you know type of thing so i i definitely think that like we have as a community which is awesome we have pushed so hard to to level the artistic uh value or or just the level of art is starting to get unbelievable you know um and that's cool like we were we were there we were part of it you know we may have gotten trampled over it too but we were there you know like it is what it is so well even um, um uh one of your artists for miniature monthly matt had the show in seattle right yeah so matt matt's one of the only ones i know who's actually doing art exhibits of his miniatures Mm -hmm. um uh yeah i don't know anybody else who's done it you know maybe other people have done it but i think you would post it online like i think i would would have seen it you know um but mark matt's done it twice now the first time he did it with other artists um this last one was just him yeah. That's pretty amazing. And he's smart about it. He does. He has blown up pictures of the piece on the wall. And then the piece is on the table in front of it. So, you know, cause a lot of people will probably walk in and be like, Oh, that's cute. You know, right. <laughs> Way to go. Lego, Lego boy, you know, even on a bust, which are bigger, you still can't see them very well. You see that on the wall and you're like, that's an amazing piece of art. And Holy crap. It's that big. Right that it's a good way to display it. And, and, you know, Matt's kind of taken the, uh, you know, he was one of the first ones to actually do prints. I've got a couple of his prints up in our guest bedroom. Um, mm-hmm. We call it the DiPietro uh, wing. Which <laughs> hopefully someday he'll come here. And be like, Hey, you can go in your room, you know, um, <laughs> but, uh, but I don't know. I like, I think, I honestly think the miniature artists should do that more like sell prints. Um, I know that there could be problems at some point with maybe IP. Like if you did a games workshop, you know, Horace, and then you tried to sell posters of Horace, like that could be a problem. Maybe. Um, I don't know how that works. I don't but, actually think so. Once you put paint on it. Yeah. I think yeah. Once you start altering it, it, it becomes to an extent, but yeah. there's stories about like Disney, like suing people for, for doing birthday cakes with the, with Mickey mouse on it. So, um, there, mm-hmm. there's a fine line, there's a gray area there yeah. and you know, there is, prob- yeah. but, but the thing is there's plenty of companies that would love for you to actually do prints because then their stuff gets out and more people buy their stuff. So, right. um, you know, it is what it is, but, uh, I, I wish that more painters would do that because I would love to have like, Kirill Kanev pieces or Ben Comet's pieces or, you know, around my house. That's, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a super geek for, for miniature art and that's what I like, you know, I like, you know, going to the Chicago museum of art, it's kind of like, okay, this is cool. I can, I, I, I look at things. I'm like, wow, that is really well painted, but I don't need a, just a big picture of some lady and dude in their ballroom gear, you know, I don't care. It's not my thing, but seeing a miniature or a little diorama like that gets my blood flowing, you know, like it's just super cool for me. I've always had that passion since I was a kid. So, um, you know, having, having stuff like that, like, or or even having pictures of it in my house, I think would be super rad, you know? So, you know, but we just don't see it very much. I think, I think people like, it's, it's kind of like Patreon. People had to get warm up to it and then they're like, Oh, I get what this is doing. I get what it's doing for the artist. And I get what it's also doing for me as a consumer of that art or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I think 
you know, maybe someday it'll be a thing, but just not today. <laughs> we we don't want to keep you too much longer. We're actually already almost at the two hour mark. <laughs> yeah. I have, I have a private coaching in half an hour. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> all, right, all right. So we'll, we'll do the last two kind of wrap up ones. And uh, okay. so this is a little bit of a different context because you're, you're a sculptor now and of yourself, but um, is there a miniature out there that you'd be, you want to see produced that hasn't been done yet? For example, I use the, um, the dark tower, Stephen King characters. I'd love to see those, somebody create the, the cockpit from that. Um, is there something that you'd like to see done that hasn't been done yet? Um, you know, it's, it's funny coming off the top of my head. Not really, because like we are in the age of miniatures right now. They've made everything. It seems like, like it, there's so much cool stuff out there. Um, I really do have kind of a flair for sort of the like evil looking Egyptian models. Um, uh, I saw a couple recently where they were kind of like almost like cat women, but Egyptian dressed and just creepy looking. Um, but as far as like a particular model, um, every year at Gen Con, we don't buy models anymore. We buy art. Um, we go to the art uh, uh, artist row and we just buy a bunch of art um, because we have so many miniatures, like we just can't paint them all. Um, so we just been getting art. And sometimes those pieces, like, like you'd be like, wow, that'd be cool if there's a miniature of this. But um, other than that, I don't have anything in particular that I really want to see just because I've seen a lot of cool stuff. Like, I don't feel like I'm wanting for anything, you know, at this point. So I know that's a really boring answer to that, but, um, you know, it's kind of the reality we face with all the 3d printing and all the independent sculpting now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We're in the, like I said, we're in the age of board games and miniatures basically right now. And it's just like, they're coming out faster than you can shake a stick at them, you know? Um, and you know, it's a lot of cool stuff, but it's like, you know, you're like, oh, I wish they had mummy models. Well, actually, I have, we have those. Okay, well, that's, okay, yeah, and they're really cool. Okay, well, what about this? Well, they actually have that too. <laughs> it's, like, it's almost like we've done everything, but people keep coming up with new stuff. So there's, you know, um, shoot, the Patreons alone, the STL Patreons, uh, I think they've run out, they ran out of stuff to do like a year ago. <laughs> so now you're starting to see these weird mashups where like this is a horse shark werewolf yeah. <laughs> okay i mean it looks kind of cool but you know like clearly you're out of ideas <laughs> right. good god we do not need 40 different versions of cocaine bear <laughs> yeah yeah ex exactly exactly so um i think the the like if they can ever get it to where like the the models are like articulated or something where they can start moving that would, that would just, it would be over at that point. But I think we're still a ways off from that, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't have anything in particular that I want. I, I just like it kind of all. All right. Our motto is better, braver, happier painters. Is there any painting advice you would give to any of our listeners as they continue their hobby journeys? Um, I would say just keep moving forward, you know, uh, uh, you know, don't let, don't let failures stop you. Obviously. Um, I think just keep, keep taking one step in front of the other, you know, <laughs> uh, this is one of those hobbies where it gets, it's really exciting at first and then, and then you become complacent or it's, it's a really good procrastination hobby too. Um, so I don't, you know, I've, I've, you can very easily spend a year not painting, thinking about painting. Um, I used to add the hours of sitting at the table doing nothing into the, my paint time. It's like, oh, I spent 40 hours on this. Yeah. But like 36 of them were just sitting at the table, you know, like you painted for like four hours, maybe come on, you know? So, uh, I think that's the biggest thing your painters block and stuff. So you get really excited at first, but then it's a grind. It's, you know, and there's, you know, people like, Oh, painting's so relaxing. But when you're learning how to paint, it's oftentimes very frustrating. Um, and you got to break, you got to break through that. So some of that is, you know, like, I think the biggest thing for me is I had, we had a painting group that would get together every Friday night is me and my best friend, John. And like, sometimes it would just be me and him. Sometimes it'd be like 12 people. Um, that was so cool 
like just I, I found that if we didn't go one weekend, I would get super grumpy. Like it was like I needed that every week to kind of decompress. And it didn't really matter if we talked about painting or not. You always got better at painting, you know, and um, having like a little group, if you can, is great. And if you're in the middle of nowhere, but you still have Internet, find a group online, you know, do a Google Hangout or something. And, and, and just like the fellowship of the painters, just being able to talk to other people. And sometimes that gets you off your butt or away from the television and you start working on something. And sometimes you got to trick yourself into painting. So <laughs> <laughs> Totally like, get that. I, totally I've heard it so many times. I love this so much. I don't do it anymore. You know, like it's like, okay, well, that doesn't make sense, but I get it. You know, like it, it's kind of how that goes for all of us. But, but if you just keep moving forward, if you have like a big project like this, uh, Sisters of Battle Army, you know, Liz, we're painting it today, and Liz goes, I feel like this will never get done. You know, and I go, yeah, that's called painting an army. You just keep doing it, and you don't stop. And then one day it's done, <laughs> you know, like it may not be today and it may not be a week from now, but it will get finished and it'll look cool, you know, but if you don't do anything, it never gets done. And so that's, and, and that works mentally uh, against you as well, because now you're like, Oh, wow, there's so much to do. I just can't get myself to do it, you know? Um, so yeah, just keep on moving. <laughs> Perfect. So Aaron, will you tell our listeners where to find you? Where to find me? Um, I, I, <laughs> shoot, I don't know where to find me. Um, so I think I'm either Lovejoy Art or Art of Lovejoy on Instagram. Let me look real quick. I think it's Art of Aaron Lovejoy on Instagram. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, Art of Lovejoy um, is me on Instagram. Uh, it's all one word. And then Aaron Lovejoy on Facebook. Um, uh, that's the one that I normally go, uh, or that's my main account on Facebook. Um, Obviously, we have Miniature Monthly. If you go to um, uh, Patreon, patreon.com backslash Miniature Monthly, that's our Miniature Monthly. Um, we have videos from uh, Elizabeth Beckley, Matt DiPietro, and myself. Um, and then we also have private coaching um, from Matt and myself. Um, Elizabeth's taking a little break from private coaching now. So, um, But there's still spots open for both Matt and I. Um, if you want to go down that route, you can take one or you can do a whole bunch. It doesn't really matter. Um and uh, you can also get private coachings from our website, which is miniaturemonthly.com. Um, and then we're now selling miniatures on Miniature Monthly, so which is really cool. Um, and I think we're going to actually start incorporating that into teaching and stuff, um, mm -hmm. putting together special packages. We have some ideas uh, for like painting a miniature, like a 54 millimeter miniature, but maybe you also get a copy of the head blown up big. So we can learn how to paint a face, not on a 54 millimeter, like on something bigger where you can be like, oh, I actually see where the highlight's supposed to go. And then you then you shrink it down to 54 millimeters. So we've got some ideas like that. It's it's in the works. We haven't done anything yet, but um, but that goes along with the whole being able to produce our own miniatures and stuff. So, um, so yeah, miniaturemonthly.com is that. Uh, we do have some busts on there right now and a couple plints. Um, but like I said, bases will be up next month and we, I actually have a bunch of different plinth shapes. Um, everything comes magnetized on the plinths and the, 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 uh, bases. So that's kind of cool. Nice. Um, that's thus the Positrack system. <laughs> 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 that name just cracks me up but i'm like what would be like the most pretentious like it just sounds like like i can just hear it echoing like a car salesman or something welcome to the pause track system um that just means they're magnetized there's nothing secret about it it's just you know they're positive track bases um <laughs> surprisingly <Nice>. not taken <laughs> <No>. <laughs> You wouldn't believe just trying to get Lovejoy art, you know, like I got a Lovejoy art website, but I think we had to call it something else, like kind of Lovejoy art or something like that, because there's already a bunch of Lovejoy arts and mm -hmm. it's just like amazing. Every name is taken, but um, yeah, positive track isn't. So we're good, uh, <laughs> at least for basis. So. Well, awesome. Um, Thank you so much for being on the show, Aaron. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was it was good. You know, after five years of trying, you know, <laughs> just, I think my exact words for you: I don't care what happens. We're doing this. <laughs> well, you're gonna pull the pull the switch in the elevator yeah. to stop it. Damn it, we're doing yeah, it now. We'll do it right now. <laughs> Got one of those pocket recorders or whatever, but. 
yeah, no, it was a blast. I would, I would, uh, I think this is a great show. So, um, appreciate you for sure. Cool. Cool beans. All right, guys. Dan and I would like to thank Garen Lovejoy from Miniature Monthly for joining us for this uh, two-part extravaganza. Uh, again, you can follow Aaron at The Art of Lovejoy on Instagram, Aaron Lovejoy on Facebook, or of course on any of the social media platforms you can search for Miniature Monthly. Aaron, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. We really had a lot of fun uh, hanging out with you and, and look forward to more conversations in the future. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, at Listening to Pain Dry, on Twitter still off and on, at Dry Listening. Uh, you can also drop us an email at listeningtopaintry at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Like, subscribe, or follow wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you could leave us a good review, we'd greatly appreciate it. And we wanted to say thank you to all of our patrons out there. Lee, Andrew, Michael, Colin, Carolyn, Cannibal Noises, Dan, Raggedy Pants, Chris, and Nick. Uh, thank you all so much for helping us. If you're interested in becoming a Patreon too, please check out our link at Listening to Paint Try. We also have, uh, you can also click on our link tree to find all of our links. While you may have to take things with a grain of salt on your journey to become a better, braver, happier painter, it's important to remember to look for the grains of truth. Until next time. Listening to Paint Try with Mike and Dan is a production of LTPTWMD. All rights reserved. No portion of this recording may be used without the express written consent of the host. The music is Death by a Thousand Questions by Springtide. Download from the free music archive on a non-commercial attribution share alike basis. All views and opinions expressed in the show are solely the views and opinions of the person who said them. All celebrity voices, if any, were impersonated and done so poorly.